It's been called the year without a summer. Europe in 1816 was bleak, gray, and stormy, which was something of a bore for a handful of British expats on holiday around Switzerland's Lake Geneva. They had gravitated to the home of Lord George Gordon Byron and his personal physician, John Polidori. Each day, the group of neighbors gathered at Lord Byron's home, staring out at the dreary countryside and reading ghost stories translated from German and French. Until the day Lord Byron challenged his guests, let's each write a ghost story. Dr. Polidori would go on to write The Vampire. It was the first modern story based on the ancient vampire legend and it would predate Bram Stoker's Dracula by nearly 80 years. But even more fabled is the tale spun by another guest, 19-year-old Mary Wollstonecroft Godwin, fiancé to poet Percy Bysshe Shelley. Her work was published, anonymously at first, as Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus. Critics hated it. Hate, hate, hated it. The Quarterly Review called it a tissue of horrible and disgusting absurdity. I'm going to turn that ray on that body and endow it with life. But there weren't no grave to hold this story down. It became massively popular and remains so to this day. More than a century after the story was first published, director James Whale Hollywoodized the fable, further enshrining it in popular culture. And why does it resonate? I created it. I made it with my own hands from the bodies I took from graves, from the gallows, anywhere. Resurrecting the dead has always been one of humankind's snappier themes. It pervades Judaism, Christendom and Islam. The ancient Babylonians were all over it. And so today are advertisers. Each one of the millions of brands circling your head are mortal. Their lifespan is finite. So when a brand's number is up, marketers have a handful of choices. They can quietly lay it to rest, or they can revive the brand. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive! In the name of God, I know what it feels like to be God. They breathe new life into the idea of the brand, starting fresh in the consumer's imagination. Nowadays, there's a hot new fashion in brand revival. Retro branding. Wrapping a brand in nostalgia and tapping its past glories. Rekindling an old look, an old feel, an old attitude. My name is Terry O'Reilly. Join me for the next few minutes and we'll examine the art of reviving a brand. You'll discover why old is the new new in the age of persuasion. Read my lips. I've fallen and I can't get up. Don't be a square. The only thing we have to fear is DDD prescription. Trial bottle 35 cents at any drugstore. And now, Terry O'Reilly and the Age of Persuasion. All the humanity. Cops, Dyson's, Menses. It's that simple. 
In the 80s, Juicy Fruit Gum got hep with happening young people. In the Juicy Fruit psyche, youth was about a day at the beach with expensive motorized toys, young lads with washboard abs, and Baywatch money shots of buxom blonde beach bunnies. The Wrigley folks spent years and a small fortune infusing this imagery in the minds of young consumers. But time went by, like it always does, while the Juicy Fruit jingle and imagery remained stuck in time. The folks at Wrigley's might have done their jobs too well. Juicy Fruit needed to revive its brand, but it couldn't do that until it laid to rest the brand people already knew so well. The first job was to hit the books. The folks at Wrigley knew their core gum chewers were young people aged 12 to 17. Research revealed one product trait that resonated, sweetness. Their mission now was to play the sweetness card while exercising the demons of their taste is gonna move ya jingle. To accomplish both at once, they decided to have some fun at their own expense. Get your skis shined up, grab a stick of juicy fruit. A hep young guitarist serenades a bunch of hep young kids in a ski chalet, except they're all a little too clean cut. Up behind the singer sneak a couple of scruffy young lads who bust a snowboard over his head. Sweet. And, in effect, over the head of the old juicy fruit brand. That's rebranding a problem that might not have occurred to those pioneers of modern persuasion. Early in the 20th century, in tall glass buildings worldwide, a growing army of men in gray flannel suits taught themselves the difference between a product and a brand. A product or service was a thing, residing in a box or in an office, on your dashboard, in your WC, on the supermarket shelf. A brand, on the other hand, is a living thing. It's an idea or a promise residing in your imagination. But it needs help getting there. It has to grab your attention, perhaps through an earth-shattering revelation. Constipation can be a problem for anyone, even doctors. Constipated doctors? Constipation <laughs> Whatever next. But this vintage ad for Xlax has to offer more than a riveting medical insight. To win a place in the consumer's imagination, it must also offer a reason why. Well, a majority of the doctors we heard from had this to say. Hmm. A majority of the doctors we talked to. Hard to argue with rock-solid empirical evidence like that. So marketers learn to get your attention and offer a reason why. That's all there is to it, right? Wrong. They soon learn that persuasion is also about competition. Hey pal, take Sal, Sal Hepatica. It's speedy as one, two, three, and gentle as it can be. Hey pal, that's Sal, Sal Hepatica. For every Holmes, there's a Moriarty. For every Archie, there's a Reggie. For every Macy, there's a Gimble. And for every Xlax, there's a Sal Hepatica, which, when working, evidently sounds like this. Sal Hepatica. 
competition added a whole new facet to marketing warfare. It's the only one of four well-known types of laxatives that is both speedy and gentle. Comparison advertising. The art of informing consumers that your product is better than the other guys. Or at least, less worse. This is the army, Mr. Jones. So brands learned the art of war. Battling for the high ground. A choice bit of real estate between your ears. Hard to win, and every bit is hard to hold. Even in victory, a brand can't rest. If it does, a consumer's imagination might easily be captured by a rival with a more effective counterattack. Yet even the most powerful marketing warriors learned a disturbing lesson, that every brand has a finite lifespan. There comes a time when it must reinvent itself, or, like an old soldier, fade away. So marketers created a weapon that would help retain their place in the consumer's mind. The power of new. New is a brand's way of saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. In the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new. It's a renewal of vows. Trouble is, it doesn't take long for new to get pretty old. New from the front. New from the side, new from the rear. The law of the marketing jungle is tough, but immutable. No brand can survive long by standing still. It must constantly be refreshed, renewed, revived. A great modern example, Kellogg's Special K, a product born way back in 1957 marketed, at first, as a high-protein breakfast alternative. It first appeared as a sort of pellet. In time, pellets became flakes. Without the sugar, the shape, or the snap, crackle, and pop of its breakfast brethren, Special K soon found its own niche as a healthy cereal. An important jewel in the health crown became dieting. Special K became a diet cereal, and its consumer target became women. A popular image showed a wafer-thin model in a white swimsuit dissolving into the image of the K from Special K. The Special K brand remained consistent. Trouble was, consumers' attitudes changed. Two words were infusing themselves into popular language. Eating disorder. You may think she's from a famine-stricken country, someone we send food parcels to. But she actually comes from Paris, and we starve ourselves, often damaging our health, so we can look just like her. The Special K brand found itself perilously close to the wrong side of a serious public issue. It needed to become part of the solution, and fast. Enter two of the very best, the Canadian creative team of Lorraine Tao and Elspeth Lynn. Among their many celebrated campaigns was one for Fruit of the Loom underwear. 
showing assorted skivvies panning across on a clothesline. One, featuring thong-like women's unmentionables, played to the old Steelers wheel hit. The tag? Why can't women buy underwear they want to wear? Using the same common sense reasoning, they created this celebrated ad for Special K, built on the proposition that women should be comfortable with their bodies. It takes the words one might expect from body-conscious women and puts them in the mouths of men. This year I will not freak out if I gain two pounds. This year I will stop asking do I look fat? Yes. Do I look fat? This year I will learn to appreciate my body. I will not let my dress size determine my self-worth. I have my mother's thighs. I have to accept that. Then the tagline. Men don't obsess about these things. Why do we? It marked an enormous turnaround in Special K's fortunes. More recently, the brand launched the Special K Diet, challenging the giants of the gravity management category, Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers. In a time when breakfast cereal sales are in decline, Special K sales rose some 16% in 2006, generating hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. Today, it's Kellogg's number one brand. It illustrates an important point. The Special K brand was in trouble. Yet, to make it right, Kellogg's didn't need to change the product. It needed to change the idea or promise of the brand. And reviving a brand doesn't always involve slamming on the brakes and making a bat turn. Sometimes, all it needs is a brilliantly calculated course correction or a retrofit. My name is Terry O'Reilly, and this is The Age of Persuasion. It's 1994. The North American International Auto Show was abuzz over a futuristic concept car designed by Volkswagen's Jay Mays. But the buzz isn't as much about the futuristic qualities of the car as it is about its roots in the past. The car is deliberately modeled after the original VW Beetle. To younger consumers, the Beetle had an appealing newness with an ever-so-fashionable dash of retro. To boomers, it was a flashback to the think-small glory days of the 1960s. Have you ever wondered how the man who drives a snowplow drives to the snowplow? This one drives a Volkswagen. So you can stop wondering. In 2001, British Motor Corporation revived another 60s icon, the Mini. Its relaunch stirred a very similar retro-chic reaction. Hi, sexy. You want to see my... New 2005 Mini Cooper Classic. Right? You're naughty. I bet you'd like to touch my... ABS brakes. Right now I'm playing with my... Six airbags. Yeah, I bet you know how to handle that. Six speaker CD stereo. And you're dying to... Visit your Toronto area retailer for a test drive. And take me from... Zero down, $3.39 a month. I love it when you... Visit mini.ca for details. The 2005 Mini, starting at 23.5. Sexy. Again, this revival of a classic brand allows marketers to combine two powerful brand attributes. It's both new 
and familiar. It's an ingenious strategy. Why tear down your image and start from zero when you can leverage the equity already stored in people's memories and emotions? It's a strategy that begins here, way in the back of your brain. Long-established brands like the VW Beetle and the Mini are rediscovering the equity they've amassed in your memory, like the memories stored here. You have the right to remain silent. Wait, I think that's your grad night. Now here's the thing. The art of reviving a brand doesn't just apply to products and services. Sometimes the brand is a person, like the handsome, Regina-born B-movie actor, Leslie Nielsen. He was a Mountie son, brother of former Deputy Prime Minister Eric Nielsen, and nephew of Hollywood actor-humanitarian Gene Hersholt. He would launch a film career best described as whelming. Witness this scintillating moment from Forbidden Planet. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? In dozens of subsequent roles, he was a soap operatic, letter-perfect, graying authority figure. Then... You'd better tell the captain we've got to land as soon as we can. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Airplane. For the creative team of Jim Abrams and brothers David and Jerry Zucker, it was comic pay dirt. For Leslie Nielsen, it meant career resurrection, taking him from dramatic backdrop to comic lead, a turn he made by playing against the image he'd spent decades building in people's minds. He found himself with a whole new career, amazingly, at age 54. Made all the funnier because, well, he's Leslie Nielsen, damn it. He's supposed to be serious. Captain, how soon can you land? I can't tell. You can tell me I'm a doctor. No, I mean, I'm just not sure. Or can't you take a guess? Well, not for another two hours. Only the guy who played Commander John Adams in Forbidden Planet, or Captain Harrison of the Poseidon, could get away with the delicious farce of the naked gun and airplane. What is it, Doctor? What's going on? I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything like this since you need a Brad concert. Picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade sky. William Shatner, on the other hand, dabbled in comedy throughout his career, though nobody's sure he knew it. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. He'd graced the stage at Stratford in the days of the great Tony Guthrie. He'd starred in the Twilight Zone with the just as great Rod Serling. It is real. There's a man out there. Or a, a gremlin. But life, après Star Trek, wasn't kind to Bill Shatner. I don't mean to sound better than you, but when I worked with him, he asked me to call him Bill. In the 1990s, he experienced a brand revival that could only be described as Nielsen-esque. I'm not a Starfleet commander. <laughs> or T.J. Hooker. Noting which way the parade was going, he ran in front of it, building a new career for himself in self-deprecation. I speak English. 
His coup de grace was landing the role of Denny Crane in Boston Legal. The man so many had written off found himself on the winning end of a Golden Globe and an Emmy. And when I speak, I never ever talk like every word is its own sentence. Actually, he does. Like Nielsen, he revived his brand by firing spitballs at the image he spent years cultivating. That kind of self-deprecation that Canucks do so well. I left my heart. Anthony Dominic Benedetto survived a tour with the U.S. Infantry in World War II and went on to build a spectacular career as Tony Bennett. But in the late 70s, he hit bottom. He had few gigs, no recording contract, and weathered a near-fatal cocaine overdose. Then it happened. Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. His son Danny became his manager, brought him to New York you to put distance from the Vegas image. Tony Bennett was rebranded for the MTV generation, reintroducing classic tunes to fresh ears. Best is yet to come. It was his unplugged appearance on MTV and the subsequent CD that resuscitated his career. Trading his Vegas tux for a designer suit, he recorded duets with Diana Krall and K.D. Lang. He appeared on award shows and the late-night talk circuit. In 2007, he shared a Grammy with Stevie Wonder. Into his 80s, Tony Bennett would remain a show business Lazarus, rising from obscurity and near death to personify retro hip. Nielsen, Shatner and Bennett have achieved the kind of resurrection craved by a small army of once glorious brands. Getting around the country in comfort and style, for me, that has to be a Cadillac. Cadillac was once a destination car a sign that you've arrived. The Cadillac of became a superlative phrase. Hey, if Arnold Palmer drives one, that's good enough for you. If you agree with me that second best isn't good enough, why not go see your authorized Cadillac dealer? Or more likely, it's good enough for your dad. For a generation, Cadillac suffered what you might call juicy fruititis. It became stuck in time, mired in its own past glory. From 2001, it began a five-year campaign using Led Zeppelin's rock and roll to underscore its message, it's not your father's Cadillac. Ever seen your dad dancing to a Led Zeppelin song at a wedding? It ain't pretty, which is why it was so right to choose so dangerous a band. The strategy was to jolt the old dad image right off the dance floor. While Cadillac is giving Lexus and BMW a run for their money, reclaiming their past glory remains an uphill drive. One more place I want to take you. Here, to the California agency that handles the Uncle Ben's rice brand for Master Foods, a division of the Mars Candy Empire. We've mentioned in the past that Uncle Ben was, according to Master Foods, a real guy a Texas rice farmer noted for the quality of his crop. 
but the picture on Uncle Ben's packaging and the affectionate, if patronizing, uncle before his name seem stereotypical. Uncle Ben looked more like a servant than a businessman. And that's been a lingering problem for the Uncle Ben's brand. So, in the spring of 2007, Uncle Ben got an image makeover. His portrait and clothes changed. More importantly, he was promoted. Uncle Ben, now simply Ben, has become CEO of Uncle Ben's Incorporated. Mind you, it's a fictitious title for a semi-fictional character in a non-existent corporation. A ceremonial gesture that won't cost the company a dime. Kind of like working in radio. There's always been something terribly unsatisfactory about mortality. We spend mountains of money staving it off through science and medicine. Billions seek a spiritual bypass. Victor Frankenstein conquered it with a few spare parts and a lightning storm. In my business, brand mortality is a going concern. Products and services might go unchanged, while billions are poured into keeping brands alive and relevant. Because a brand is an idea, and ideas are both fleeting and fragile. Ask former disco queen Donna Summer. Every day, brands are being reinvented. Witness the resurrection of such brands as Abercrombie & Fitch and Adidas. But brand management is a tough gig. Sometimes it's about steering, often it's about overhauling, and almost as often, it's about resurrection. There is nothing more expensive in the world of marketing than starting a new brand. Therefore, reviving a brand can have enormous advantages. It taps an impression already nestled in your memory. It's like starting a race halfway down the track. Which helps explain the popularity of movie sequels and remakes with built-in audiences. And old TV shows like The Beverly Hillbillies and Starsky and Hutch suddenly showing up at the local Cineplex. See also Oldies Music and Classic TV Shows. Say what you want about those of us in the marketing business. At least we recycle in the Age of Persuasion. The Age of Persuasion is created and written by Terry O'Reilly and Mike Tennant. Yeah, same old, same old. Engineer Keith Oman, who used to be Mrs. Midori Tagawa before he, you know, rebranded. Title music by the artists formerly known as Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. The Age of Persuasion is produced for CBC Radio by Pirate Radio and Television Toronto.